Well, hey everybody, so glad that you could join us for today's service. Whether you're joining us in person or you're joining us online, we're so glad that you're a part of what God is going to do today. Our service is gonna begin in just a few moments, so hang in there and we look forward to what God is going to do. We are praying that God would speak to us, that he would draw us closer to him, that we would learn what it looks like to follow Jesus and to worship him and to love him with all of our heart and soul and strength and mind. So we're looking forward to what God is gonna do. Thanks for joining us today.
Good morning and welcome to Bridges Community Church. I'm going to uh, read some scripture, but uh, in, first, um, you know, the whole world was, has been wacko for a while, and we shut down for a while, right? We weren't meeting here in person, and for a year and uh, a little more, we were doing all of our worship online, and then we came back in person. We were meeting out on the patio, and several people came up to me when we were out on the patio and said, hey, where's that tall guy who sings in all the videos? And here he is. Welcome back. This is my great friend, Jason Vandaloo, uh, who he and his family moved to the Boston area uh, like a month after the pandemic began. Uh, and so we are grateful that we got to worship together online. He was sending in all those videos from Boston and we were putting them together, but man, we are so excited to be worshiping here together in this place again. So welcome back. And now let's turn our attention on the Lord who has done amazing things for us. We are free because of the gift of Jesus, because of the gift of what he has done. And from Psalm 126, it says, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. 
we are glad. Let's continue to sing of the great things that God has done for us.
Amen. You can have a seat. Thanks for worshiping with us today. It's my honor to uh, introduce, perhaps for some of you for the first time, or reintroduce for several of you, uh, the Moda family. And they're going to come up and join me. The Modas are some of the missionaries we support in Brazil. Yeah, come on up, guys. This is Paulo and Irini. Uh, Moda, and they have been missionaries with the church as long as I've been here, even longer. Their son first came when he was just a baby, like 23 years ago. So some of you may remember that. He's now like this, you know, incredible guy over here. So welcome. We're so glad that you guys are here. You guys are going to have a chance after the service to talk to the Modas out in the lobby, and they can share about how you can get onto their newsletter, learn about some of their needs, how you can be praying for this uh, special family. We have sent over the years, people to Brazil to serve alongside them at uh, the Restoration Ministries. And Lord willing, we'd love to take a team next summer. We're kind of targeting that and take another team and um, to do that. But welcome. We're so glad you all are here. We'd love to pray for you and just wanted you all to bring greetings and anything that's on your heart this morning. It's so nice to be here with you guys. It's a blessing to us. <laughs> Yeah, thanks for having us. It's a privilege to be here. Yeah, it's like the first time we came here was like 22, 23 years old. Uh, years old, uh, like ago. ago. Okay, after all this long without coming here, my English is getting worse. <laughs> uh, and I'm getting stronger, <laughs> a large. But it's so good to be here. Thank you, guys. We love you. And... We are praying that the plans to, for you guys, some of you guys, come to Brazil next year, we work out. And you don't have to worry about Portuguese. You don't have to speak Portuguese, okay? Because we'll take care of you. And you'll be a blessing. And it doesn't matter your age also. We receive every age group. And just come and be a blessing to us. I already talked with a brother today. He's going to cook with me. And it'll be nice. But you guys are welcome. Thank you. Well, uh, I bring greetings also from Restoration Ministry staff from Wellington and Touch. Everybody loves you guys. The ministry growing so much. Even the pandemic time with the challenge that we had, we stopped for a month, but after that, we were able to, by the grace of God, to visit people, to help feeding the ones that was in hungry. And God has blessed us so much. We received, by grace of God, over 9,000 boxes of food to help the people, but not just about the food to feed them, but it was about to share the gospel, bring the hope that are in Christ. Now in the ministry, we are with the third generation of the ministry. Praise God for that. Amen? And as you guys know, for the ones that don't know, the ministry work with five different favelas. Our goal is to reach out to them, bring, evangelize, bring the gospel, disciple the people, and and training others to become leaders. And anyway, God is working. And I'm so thankful for your prayers. The camp looks wonderful. We start to do camps last year again. And has been a blast. That is so much to, to share, but I know it's not enough time. But yeah. you have to come to check out the ministry. Yeah, the ministry is 
right now is very fruitful, flourishing. You know, people are coming to Christ, it's growing. We are in these five favelas. We are planting three churches in those places, and it's, it's just growing. And thank you for your prayers and financial support. About the family, I'm sorry. Daniel is here, he graduated, but our daughter is graduating high school, and she was accepted at Biola, and she's coming to Biola. Yeah. The desire is to do nursery and to somehow serve the Lord. This is what she says, and we are very happy for her. We appreciate your prayers. Amen. Well, we'd love to pray for uh, this family. We also want to pray for Edini's health. She, about a week ago, had uh, some back issues, yeah, and very, very painful. And so we're glad that you could make it through this journey. And they're going to be, again, out in the lobby. You all can connect with them, find out about, again, some of their financial needs ongoing, and to be a partner prayer-wise and about exciting things. This is a, a, a family that we are honored to uh, partner with in this way. So let's just pray for them, Father. I want to thank you for the motives and thank you that you brought them here. We pray that these days here in Silicon Valley would be refreshing to them, that they would be able to connect with churches and individuals and families, that it would just feel like coming home in a lot of ways. You have, through the years, blessed this partnership, and we ask that you would continue to do so in the coming days. We ask that you would give them good health. We ask that you would bring healing to Irini's back, uh, and that you would provide for every financial need that they have. We ask that you would enlarge their ministry more than they could ever dream or imagine. We pray for the gospel to go forth. We pray for your Holy Spirit to plant seeds in people's lives about your truth and about the need for a Savior. And I thank you, Lord, for this uh, special ministry that has been established to proclaim your name. I pray that you would protect it. I pray that you would add to their number. I pray that you would raise up uh, more volunteers, more staff, more donors, more intercessors. And we ask again, God, your favor upon them, that the plans you have for them would be carried out. Lord, we ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you all. And as they uh, make their way on back, some of you, again, just need this reminder. If you want to know ways that you can plug into not only our missionaries' lives, but about just local efforts that we're trying to do to love our neighbor, to show compassion to uh, everyone in this community to the best of our ability, go to bridges.info. Go to the service opportunities page. One of the things you'll see there is next Sunday, reminder, we're going to have a special picnic for local refugees in partnership with a local agency. We're asking anybody who wants to be a part of that from this church, like we need volunteers, but we ask that you would sign up through bridges.info, that you not just show up. We want to know that you're coming. I have another Zoom training tomorrow night for those who have not gotten to participate in the one that I did this last Monday. We're asking anybody to be a part of that. Bridges.info, that picnic is next Sunday afternoon, and it's going to be wonderful. But there are so many other things going on here. So thanks for your partnership, and after the service, we do hope that you'll connect with the Modas. Let's all stand as we continue to worship through song. This is amazing grace This is unfailing love That you would take my place That you would bear my cross 
God sent his son. They called him Jesus. He came to love.
Let's all say amen together. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. And as you do, we'll dismiss our elementary school students to join Miss Alba in the back. Job 7, 11 through 21. Therefore, I will not restrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Am I the sea or the sea monster that you send to guard over me? When I say, my bed will comfort me, my couch will ease my complaint, then you scare me with dreams and terrify me with visions so that I would choose strangling and death rather than my bones. I loathe my life. I would not live forever. Leave me alone, for my days are breath. What is man that you make so much of him and that you set your heart on him? Visit him every morning and test him every moment. How long will you not look away from me, nor leave me alone till I swallow my spit? If I sin, what do I do to you, you watcher of mankind? Why have you made me your mark? Why have I become a burden to you? Why do you not pardon my transgression and take away my inequity? For now I shall lie in the earth. You will seek me, but I shall not be. Every week, uh, we invite you to send in questions um, about the sermon, about the service, about Christianity in general. We say, go to bridges.info, click on the sermon question button and ask about anything that needs clarification for you. Uh, you have heard us say that. If you have been here for more than a minute, uh, you have heard us say that. But here's what you may not know. Um, we reply to every single question that comes in uh, if you give us your contact information, which you don't have to do. You can send in a question without giving us your contact information. But if you include your contact information, we will reply always. Um, sometimes we reply through the video that we record. Sometimes we reply directly to the person who asked, but we always give a response. If somehow you have sent in a question in the past and you never got a reply, uh, please send it in again. Let us know you never heard back, and I will apologize uh, because our goal is to respond to every question. We want to encourage you to ask questions. We want to do everything we can possibly do to make it clear. It is okay to ask questions. Actually, it's good. It's commendable. One reason that I hang out so long after a service, either in here or out on the patio, is because I want to be available to you. If something made you mad, I want to hear it. Um, if something is unclear, I, I want to hear that too, because I understand when we're dealing with faith and theology and applying the Bible to our lives, it is not just take it or leave it. We need to wrestle with some of these concepts. 
And we want to give you space to do that. Faith is a process. It takes a minute to grapple with it. And there are plenty of examples throughout Scripture. We'll talk about some of them today where people struggled through their questions and doubts with their faith. They wrestled with God, and he wrestled right back. He even seems to invite us into that type of process. So we want to be a church that invites into that process as well. I, I have heard so many stories, and they always break my heart when I hear them. And this is one reason why we have sermon questions. I've heard so many stories of people who grew up in a church that condemned anyone who asked questions. People went to their church leaders with very legitimate questions like, why is there evil? How is an eternity in hell a just punishment for sin? Like, I don't think I'm really that bad, and now I'm going to be in hell forever? Really? Like, how's that fair? Or why did Jesus need to be sacrificed? Why couldn't God just forgive us without the shedding of blood? Or doesn't the Bible promote a sexist patriarchy? Or doesn't the Bible support slavery? Like, those are legitimate questions. But sometimes church leaders condemn people who ask them. They say, don't doubt. Just accept what is. Doubting is a sin. Or don't challenge the leadership of the church and go away. Like, the, the question isn't taken seriously or handled with care whatsoever. And then do you know what happened? Those people who asked those questions, they walked away from faith. They walked away from Jesus. Of course they did. They thought because they didn't get an answer, there must not be an answer. And then they concluded this whole church thing must be baloney or superstition. Um, I don't want that to be your story. I want you to hear as clearly as you can, as often as you can, ask questions, wrestle, doubt, freak out, yell and scream, do all of that. But stay engaged. Whatever you do, don't walk away. Keep wrestling. Keep asking. That's what Job did. And eventually he had a breakthrough. If you haven't been here the last couple of weeks, we're just about in the middle of a seven-week series in the book of Job. Job is a biblical character. He's a real person who endured extreme suffering. And he had some questions. He had some bold questions. So as we look at this section of Job today, we will see what he knows, what he asks, and where he points. What he knows, what he asks, and where he points. So first, what he knows. Job knows he hasn't done anything wrong. Job knows he hasn't done anything wrong. He faces unimaginable suffering. All his children were killed. His finances were ruined. His friends turn out to be jerks. And he knows he really hasn't done anything that caused this. Verse 20, he asked God, If I sin, what did I do to you, you watcher of mankind? Why have you made me your mark? Why have I become a burden to you? It's the same question we would ask if someone were mean to us at work or school or home for apparently no reason. Like, why are you bothering me? What did I ever do to you? Maybe you were sitting in class and some kid grabs a pencil out of your hand and snaps it right in front of your face, drops it on your desk and walks away. And you're like, 
what just happened? Like that, that was out of nowhere. You just, that, that was unprovoked. What, like, what's the deal? I never did anything to you. I don't even know this kid's name and he's coming over here and breaking my pencil. Like what's going on? That's exactly what Job says to God. He asks, why are you after me? What did I do to deserve this? Why have you made me your mark? Am I a burden to you somehow? Is that what's going on? Like, do you hear the frustration in his voice? Because he knows there is no connection between what he's going through and what he might have done to cause it. There is no connection. And many times we have that same frustration, don't we? We ask God, or we ask the sky, or we ask our friends, why is this happening to me? I mean, I know I'm not perfect, but the burden I'm carrying seems to be a little extreme, don't you think? Maybe God has it out for me. We've all wondered that from time to time. And Job actually asks it. Another place, he says his situation is unjust. Job 19, he, cries, he says, I cry out for help, but there is no justice. He knows whatever the reason is that this has been happening to him, whatever that reason is, it is not because he has messed up somehow. And that's whether he's speaking to his friends or he's speaking to God, he puts his stake in the ground and stands by his record. He says, I haven't done anything to deserve this. And you know what? God agrees with him. At the beginning of the book, God's talking with Satan and God says, Job is awesome. God commends Job for the way he's been living his life. God is proud of Job. And then God brings all this suffering to Job. Which means, very definitively, Job is not suffering because he messed up. And that is actually helpful when we process our own suffering. Because it gives us one cause for our suffering that we can eliminate. We are not suffering because of karma. We are not suffering because we failed in a past life. We are not suffering because we sinned. You are not suffering because you made a mistake. You are not suffering because you didn't pray enough. You didn't do anything wrong. And that helps because it's not our fault. If we had done something wrong that created the suffering, then, then there would be like an extra burden on us, right? Because then not only are we suffering, but on top of that, we're so dumb that we made it happen, right? It's a self-inflicted wound, and that is worse. But Job shows you, you didn't do anything to deserve what you're going through. You can be free of that guilt. I mean, of course, there are times when suffering is our fault. If we are nasty to our friend and then our friend doesn't want to be our friend anymore, of course, we made our bed and now we have to lie in it. That happens, of course. But there are other times, maybe the majority of times, who knows, when suffering is not our fault. Listen, if your parents were abusive to you, it's not your fault. If you have an illness, it's not your fault. If you were blamed for something that you didn't do, it's not your fault. Karma isn't coming back around to you. 
You didn't sin, and this is your payback. God isn't upset with you. He's not venting his anger at you. In fact, God may be very happy with you, like he was very happy with Job. Job didn't do anything wrong to cause his suffering. And you likely didn't do anything wrong either. And that is helpful. That answers one question. We can eliminate one potential cause for our suffering. It's not our fault. But that immediately sparks another question, doesn't it? If I haven't done anything to cause this, then why? Why am I suffering? And that is what Job asks. He asks, why? Verse 20, why have you made me your mark? Why have I become a burden to you? What's the deal here? He asks God, do you, do you maybe need to keep guard over me to make sure I don't do something wrong in the future? Like, are you like helicopter parenting me? That's verse 12. He asks, am I a sea monster that you need to keep watch over me? Like, Maybe would I break something if you weren't hovering over me so closely? Job is throwing out any possibility he can think of. He's scrambling to find some explanation for his circumstances. It's, it's again fascinating in all these questions. Job never doubts that God is in charge. We talked about sovereignty for two weeks. We don't need to talk about it more today. But there is no hint anywhere in the book of Job indicating that Job ever wavered on God's absolute control over everything that he endured. He does not doubt that. But he does seem to doubt God's goodness. It's like he says, I know you're in charge. I just don't know if you're any good. Because again, later, Job even says he's not getting justice. He says there's something wrong with what he's enduring, which makes sense, right? Because if he hasn't sinned to deserve it, then how are his circumstances just? Have you ever been there? Have you ever asked that? Have you ever told God there is something unjust with what you are enduring? See, it's at least a hint that he's accusing God of doing something wrong. Job doesn't go all the way. He doesn't outright say God is unjust, and that is important, but he does ask the question. He says, I call out for justice and I don't get it. So what's going on? Did you know that you can talk with God like that? Did you know that you can wrestle with God through those kinds of questions? You can. Job is not even the only one in scripture who talks to God like this. There are plenty of Psalms that ask, why? Psalm 10, why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Psalm 42, why have you forgotten me? Psalm 44, why did you forget our affliction and oppression? Psalm 74, how long, O Lord? So do you feel comfortable demanding answers from God like that? God does not want us to approach him like maybe we would approach our boss if our boss has made us mad somehow. So just imagine your supervisor has forced you to work this weekend or assigns you um, the job that everybody hates, you know, laid some burden on you, and you have decided, I'm going to go protest. So you walk into your boss's office. Maybe you make an appointment. You're super polite. You're tiptoeing around the real issue. You give your boss lots of praise, like really flowery language. This company is so blessed. 
uh, to have someone with your wisdom uh, guiding us and calling all the shots. It's awesome. We're so grateful. We, th- we think you're wonderful. You're just trying to sugarcoat your request. And then eventually, after lots of posturing and man- maneuvering, you finally get around to your complaint. Um, but you still word it like as gently as you can. You say, have you thought about maybe other options such as me not working this weekend? Um, And if you say no, that's totally fine. No worries at all. That's not how God wants us to approach him. He wants us to be real with him. One reason why the book of Job and all these Psalms are in the Bible is to show us how unfiltered we can be with God. If we're continuing the metaphor of our boss, the equivalent with God would be something like kicking in your boss's door and questioning like, what's the deal? Why are you making me work this weekend? What did I ever do to you? Why do you put this burden on me? This is unjust. This is unfair. That is how God invites us to talk with him. Otherwise, why would these examples be in his word? Listen, God knows working through these big questions is a process. And this is why I love Job. Job wrestles for a long time before he gets to a place of peace. He does get there. He does get to peace. He gets to the point of calmly trusting God with his circumstances. Actually, to be more correct, he kind of comes in and out of peace throughout the book. You know, Job started by saying, blessed be the name of the Lord, and then he has a bunch of questions and demands. But later he says, I know my Redeemer lives, followed by more questions. So he trusts, and then he's angry, and then he doesn't know what to do. But eventually he finds God, and he ends up totally settled in his spirit, even before his suffering ends. We'll talk about that in a couple weeks. But he didn't need his suffering to end before he found peace. And that is what it's really like to go through a difficult season. In Job, we see the whole process, the whole journey of suffering, but suffering with God. Job kept wrestling. He didn't didn't walk away from crying out to God. He, He kept at it. And the Psalms show the same process, but they are they are much more condensed. Psalm writers ask questions, get angry, but then by the end, which is like four words later, they say, I still trust you, God. You are my peace, my deliverer. So like they say the same thing that Job does, but again, they're only, the whole Psalm is usually 20, 30 sentences, verses. We don't really get the sense of how long the journey can take between questioning and peace. You might not find peace after 20 verses. You might be more like Job, 42 chapters. Job seems to go on forever because that is what it's like to wrestle with God. And God invites us to do that. He says, bring me your biggest questions. As raw as they get, don't hold back. Kick in the door, let's talk. God is like, grab a hold of me wrestle, and don't let go until you're settled, even if it takes 42 chapters or 42 years. Now, spoiler alert, when God does show up at the end of the book, and when Job does find peace, which again, we'll talk about in a few weeks, um, God's whole point to Job is that God has reasons for suffering that Job doesn't know about. 
And it is that interaction with God that gives Job peace. I want to bring this up now because you may not be here the week that we talk about the big point of the book of Job, and I don't want you to miss it if you're not here that week. And repetition is the key to memory anyway, so it'll do you good to hear this twice. But so Job asks, why am I suffering? He asks that for so many chapters. Um, and eventually God responds. And when God does respond, he compares our lack of knowledge about suffering to our lack of knowledge about the creation of the universe and the foundations of the earth. God responds to Job by asking Job, Job, do you know everything there is to know about how the universe was formed? Do you know all that stuff? And of course, Job's rhetorical answer is like, I, I know almost nothing about the creation of the universe other than you made it, God. Um, which, hey, we live thousands of years later, and that is still largely our answer. Um, there is still a ton about the origins of the universe or foundations of the earth that we do not know. We don't even fully understand gravity, for instance. Uh, the typical equations we use for gravitational forces don't work at the atomic level, and therefore, we don't really know how this place is knit together. We don't really know how everything got started. We don't know. And God says, okay, you don't know everything there is to know about the universe, and yet you trust me to be in charge of that. You still have questions about the cosmos. That's okay. Keep asking them, learn new stuff. That's awesome. But in the meantime, trust me with that. You're okay with me running that without you knowing. You trust that I know what I'm doing with every atom that makes up existence, even though you still have questions. It doesn't freak you out. It doesn't keep you up at night that you don't know how the universe is tied together. So, God says, let's apply that same principle to suffering. You don't know everything there is to know about suffering, but can you trust me with it? You still have questions. That's okay. Ask them. But can you trust me at the same time? like you do with all the universe stuff? And Job says, yes, and he has peace. He actually says God's ways, which he does not know, are wonderful. That's the word he uses, wonderful. That's the big picture point of Job. Job doesn't get the full answer, but he does find peace. So we don't need to have a full answer in order to have peace either. Okay, review. Job asks, why am I suffering? And then bonus, which is not in our text for today, God eventually responds, you can trust me with it. Now, finally, um, where Job points. He points to God's love for us. Job points to God's love for us. Even though God does not respond uh, to Job until long after these verses, and Job does not find peace at this point in his journey, Job does give us two clues in this passage, um, part of what God is up to with suffering. Both clues point to the same place. Neither are definitive. But you'll find them in verse 17 and verse 18. Verse 17, Job asks, Why do you make so much of man? Why do you set your heart on him? And then verse 18, he asks, Why do you test man? Those are glimmers of God's love for us. Now, Job asks those questions through like shouts of agony, so the, so the glimmer of God's love is super clouded. But look at it. Job instinctively knows God's testing has something to do with God's heart, his affections for us. Job asks, verse 17, why do you set your heart 
on man. The testing does not have to do with God's wrath or God's anger, as we have already said. God is not paying Job back for something. The testing has to do with God's heart. That's one clue. The other clue is that the testing has something to do with God making much of man. Job asks, why do you give me so much attention? Why all the fuss over little old me? Why am I, I must be really important to you. And that's the right assumption. God is making something of us. He's shaping us. He's forming us. That's one thing that he's up to with our suffering. Now, Job does not develop that idea any further. He just leaves it vague. But the New Testament makes it explicit. Romans 5, for instance, we know that suffering produces perseverance. You know this verse, many of you, perseverance character and character hope. God uses suffering to mold us into people with perseverance character hope, for example. He's making much of us. Just like Job asked, why are you making much of me? He knows that something like that is going on. It is a consistent pattern throughout Scripture and throughout the experiences of many Christians. Uh, someone I follow on social media wrote, no Christian has ever said they grew the most with God or they grew the most as a person through times of ease and happiness. No one's ever said that. No one ever grows the most through seasons of ease and happiness. That's not the way it works. We grow the most through pressure and suffering. And if God cares about us, which he does, if he set his affections on us, which he has, then he will take us through difficulty and tragedy in order to refine us. C.S. Lewis talks about this uh, in his book, The Problem with Pain. Lewis compares us to a work of art and God is the artist, and God is scraping and carving on the work of art. And Lewis says, if a work of art had feelings, if it was sentient, the work of art would describe the scraping and carving process uh, as pretty painful, right? Here's the full quote from Lewis. We are a divine work of art, something that God is making, and therefore something with which he will not be satisfied until it has a certain character. That's an echo of Romans 5, right? Here again, we come up what I call, have called the intolerable compliment. Um, over a sketch made idly to amuse a child, an artist may not take much trouble. The artist may be content to let it go, even though it is not exactly what he meant it to be. But over the great picture of his life, the work which he loves, the artist will take endless trouble and would doubtless thereby give endless trouble to the picture if it were sentient. One can imagine a sentient picture after being rubbed and scraped and recommenced for the 10th time, wishing that it were only a thumbnail sketch whose making was over in a minute. In the same way, it is natural for us to wish God had destined us for a less glorious and less arduous destiny. But then we are wishing not for more love, but for less. End quote. Why is God giving you so much trouble? C.S. Lewis calls it the intolerable compliment because he wants you to be a masterpiece. And if we say, I, but I don't want to be a masterpiece. Can't you just leave me unfinished? Can't I be just a thumbnail sketch? Okay, sure, you can ask for that. 
But Lewis says if you ask for that, you're asking for less of God's love, not more. This is why I've learned, like, when I'm in a painful season, even though I want to pray, get me out of this. I don't pray that anymore. I don't pray, get me out. Instead, I pray, finish this. Whatever you're up to, complete it, God. And if you could hurry it up, that'd be fantastic. Um, But don't end this work until you are finished with it. Because we all need to be scraped and carved in order to be formed. Again, Romans 5, it's suffering that produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character produces hope. Now, you may wonder when you read something like Romans 5, for instance, you may want to ask, couldn't we get character and hope some other way without going through suffering? Like, hey, God, I've heard you can do anything. Um, So here's an idea. Try it out. Uh, Could you create character and hope in me while I'm relaxing on the beach without a care in the world? Like, could we do it that way? Maybe. Sure. But, but it's kind of pointless to ask because we know God doesn't do it that way. Again, no Christian ever says, I grew the most through times of ease. That's not how God does it. We may as well ask God, ask him this too. Say, hey, couldn't you make a diamond out of carbon without all the intense heat and pressure? Couldn't you do that? Couldn't you make diamonds, God, by taking some carbon, just sprinkling sugar on top of it? Like, Can we do it that way? Maybe. Sure, he is God, but he doesn't do it that way. He doesn't make diamonds that way. And he doesn't grow us through times of ease. He grows us through difficulty. That is how it works. He's going to keep scraping us and carving us because he loves us. Because he set his heart on us because he's making much of us. If you ever doubt God's affections for you, if you ever think your suffering indicates that God hates you or is out to get you, if you think your suffering is because God doesn't love you, if that's where you are, look at the cross. If Jesus endured the cross for you, then there's nothing he won't do for you. There is no distance he won't travel. There is no cost that is too high. He will do anything for you. He already did everything for you. And unlike Job, who suffered at least partially to be formed into a masterpiece, Jesus suffered not for his own benefit, but for yours. On the cross, Jesus bore the wrath of God. He took the punishment for our sin, not to elevate himself, but to elevate us. Jesus didn't need to suffer in order to develop character and perseverance and hope in himself. He already had all of that. He suffered that you might be liberated from your sin and that you might be freed to follow after God. And if he did that for you, then you know that he is always for you. Like Tim Keller says, the cross doesn't fully answer what the reason for suffering is. But the cross does show without a doubt what the reason for suffering isn't. It isn't because God doesn't love us. And it isn't because God doesn't care. Clearly he loves us. Clearly he cares. If he didn't, then why endure the cross? 
Christian, your suffering is because God has set his heart on you. He's making much of you. His testing produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope, and soon you will be a masterpiece. And when that day comes, you will thank him for the scrapes and cuts and trouble he has caused you. You can be confident that that day is in your future. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are good and thank you that you are in charge. Lord, we don't uh, enjoy the process of you refining us and we don't fully know, like Job didn't fully know, all the reasons that you're up to uh, with our suffering. But we pray that like Job eventually gets to trust in you, that we would trust you, Lord, that our questions would be uh, overcome by uh, worship of you, trust in you, faith in you, that we would follow after you even though we're not exactly sure what you're up to or where you're going. Lord, give us uh, the confidence and peace that comes from just being yours and knowing that we are in your capable, strong, uh, magnificent hands. Um, we pray those things in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus.
stand as we continue to sing this morning. Then came the morning that sealed the promise. Your very body began to breathe. Out of the silence, the roaring have a seat as Al comes up. Before we close today, we get to do a little treat, and I'd like uh, Susanna Chen to come down, and right here, do we have her here today? Oh, she's on the way, she's following me. It's so great to have you. We have a chance to welcome a new member into our fellowship today. So, Suzanne, how long have you been at, at Bridges? Um, around January, since January this year. And how did you find us? Um, through a friend who attended for about 15 years, and now she moved to another part of the city, but she highly recommended this church. Well, and then yeah. online, and then I really found it my church, the first time when I step into here with the warm welcome of my fellowship members. Oh, well, hallelujah. We, uh, we so enjoyed, the elders so enjoyed reading your testimony and uh, approving you for membership, and Sujana had such a great time meeting with you. Where is she? There she is, yeah. I really enjoyed what you wrote. You have two sons who are in their 20s, is that right? Uh, yes. Yeah, and you, and you work now as a medical, tell us about your job. 
Uh, I'm a mental health therapist at Kaiser. At Kaiser? Yes, uh, my office is in Mountain View, but it's out of the Santa Clara Kaiser. Oh, terrific. Well, I, I think we should just say a, a big amen to welcome Susanna into membership. Uh, amen? <laughs> All right. We thank you so much. And I have a, we, we call this event mugging. We have a mug for you. Or Bridges. Well, thank you so much. God bless. Uh, that's, that's a great reminder. If any of you have been attending for a while or just for a short time and you might be interested in becoming a member because we really hold membership high here, don't we, at Bridges Church. Uh, you can contact me. My email is the easiest one of all, al at bridges.church. You can contact me or the church office and express your interest in going through the process of becoming a member. And that's just where we have you meet with a deaconess or an elder, and we chat about your spiritual journey. Uh, let's close our service today with just a couple of announcements. Reminder that in three weeks, on the 5th of June, we're having our all-church potluck slash barbecue out here on the patio. And if you check your announcements that come via email, It'll say your name begins with the letter A through Z, G, and you're responsible for a salad, etc. I'm not giving you the details, but you can find out what we would like you to bring on that date. Um, again, a reminder that you may give course online at bridges.info, or if you'd like to give today, we have two boxes in the back. It's been a great service today. Let me close in prayer. Our God, we thank you for this church. Lord, what a difference it has made in so many of our lives. And we ask that it may continue for many years to make a difference in many lives as it has for me and for everyone here. We thank you, Lord, for our staff, our pastors, uh, and, and what they, they do each day. We thank you for the teaching of this church and how the word of God is held high. Send us out now, Lord, to be light in a dark world. In Jesus' name, amen.